Every time I read about the tragedy at the home for the elderly, I can't help but think that it should have the word avoidable in front of it. If only we had known what Jen was planning, we might have been able to stop her. If only we had known about Alma's dolls, then maybe a lot of suffering could have been avoided and lives could have been saved. The whole thing was avoidable. If only people had listened. The first time I saw one of Alma's dolls, I was stunned. Not because I was scared or because I thought there was something inherently evil about the little figurine, or the fact that it so closely resembled one of the residents, but because I admired it. I wasn't stunned by fear of the thing, but an appreciation of its beauty and her talent in having constructed it in the first place. The fear came later. The effigies, or at least the ones I saw, were around five inches in height and carved from a milky yellow-white wax. To achieve this level of detail she had, Alma used a tiny magnifying lens that she kept in one of her pockets of her uniform, beside the needle and a round-edged sculpting tool she had bought from some crafting store or other. With these simple implements, she was able to carve likenesses that would have made many accomplished artists jealous. In each case, every contour, every line, wrinkle, and blemish was perfect. Staring at one of her dolls was like looking at a three-dimensional image of the person it was based upon. A perfect portrait rendered in wax and the sort of dazzling talent that could have made their creator famous. If she wanted it. But she didn't. Instead, Alma wanted to help people and the first time I accidentally saw one of her dolls, she had almost tried to hide it, as if the simple act of making or keeping such a thing was in itself a sin. I remember distinctly that the first time was a Friday night. I had checked in on Alma with news of some phone call or something during a late shift at the home. She was sitting with Madge, one of her older and more frail residents who had taken a fall earlier in the week and was confined to bed still hooked up to a drip and some other equipment that was monitoring her vitals. We had 60 residents in total at Molten Home for the Elderly and Alma seemed to love all of them equally. When I found her that night, she was sitting as she always seemed to be on these late nights in a wicker chair by the bedside. She had been reading aloud to Madge in order to help her drift off to sleep. This wasn't anything new. In fact, the old girl often said that despite the classics having sat on her bookshelf for years, she had read and enjoyed more of them since Alma began reading them aloud than she'd ever had under her own steam. I get through almost one a month nowadays, I remember her saying. It's a lot easier when someone's reading it to you, but you have to keep skipping back to bits because I always fall asleep in the end. I remember almost smiling at that, nodding that she didn't mind skipping back and reading some bits over as long as it made Madge happy, which it certainly did. That night Madge had been fast asleep and Alma, watching her as she slept, had been sitting knees together with one of the small figurines resting on her thighs. Having not noticed my approach, she remained for a few moments undisturbed and I watched her in fascination as she gently caressed the figurine, touching softly around the bones of the forehead, smoothing her fingertips gently along the curves of the neck and down onto the shoulders. 
She even combed through the hair, which at this point I presumed was synthetic, but upon closer inspection looked to be real. When I spoke, even with my whispers sounding heavy and massive in the near silence of the room, Alma jumped as if snapped, startled from a trance or a daydream by the click of a hypnotist's fingers. Hurdily and with sheepish guilt raising of the eyes, she stuffed the tiny doll into the folds of her uniform and straightened herself up, asked me to repeat myself. Sorry, she said in a low whisper, more mouthing the word than actually making the sound. I was miles away. Can you say that again? I had repeated whatever it was that I had gone there to ask and glanced back at Madge. Alma rose to her feet and followed me out of the room to some other tasks that needed attention, stopping only to gently sweep her hand across the old woman's forehead in a manner identical to the way in which she had touched the figurine. That night, I didn't ask. Alma knew that I had seen the doll and what she had been doing, but I didn't bother to ask about it. Clearly, she was a little protective of her hobby, and though we were good friends, she never mentioned them. My rationale, therefore, was that if she wanted me to know, I'd know. She wasn't doing any harm, so I let the topic be, and didn't pursue it or ask about it until the day of the leak. Then, I felt it was necessary. I'd first heard about the leak from Jen, an overweight and undereducated girl who normally worked the day shift. Since we were on opposing shifts, I rarely had to interact with Jen, but whenever I did, I found her to be a hateful character. Of all the people working at the nursing home, she seemed to be the only one who was just there for the paycheck. She didn't seem to care for the residents, and at times couldn't even tell them apart. Twice she had given medication meant for one resident to another by mistake. Luckily, the medication was nothing too strong, and the incident went unnoticed by all but the staff. But had the pills been something stronger, the mistake could have made the unwitting recipient very ill or could even, heaven forbid, have killed them. Jen was not then someone I particularly respected, so when she came to me with news of a water leak in the staff locker room, I half suspected her of having started it especially since her hands were soaking wet when she came to see me, something which I saw no reason for, considering that the water was on the floor and spraying from a burst pipe below shin level. Having heard what she did next, I became certain that she had ruptured the pipe herself, though of course I couldn't prove it. In an attempt to save the stuff in Alma's locker from getting soaked, she used a coat hanger to bust the flimsy lock of the thing open, displaying a skill set usually only shown by those used to robbing houses and jacking cars. Knowing that Jan had some kind of issue with Alma for whatever reason, and knowing that the supposed leak had somehow left someone else's locker untouched, I immediately became suspicious. A fact that was cemented by the fact that Jen seemed far more concerned about telling me what she had discovered inside Alma's locker than about the leak itself. Almost as if the leak was just an excuse to break in there in the first place. She's got dozens of them, she said. Weird little voodoo dolls all lined up in a box in the bottom of her locker. 
I knew it. You know, she's some kind of witch or priestess or whatever. She's got one of nearly everybody, all the residents. Little messed up statues. She's doing all this evil devil voodoo stuff, you know, like spells. You've got to sack her. You know, it's not right. I heard Jen's complaint, and having dismissed her with an assurance that I would speak to Alma and fix the leak, which seemed to have disappeared from Jen's list of concerns altogether. Later that day, when she came on shift, I spoke to Alma. I told her what had happened and asked her about the figures. She knew it was a setup and accused Jen of stirring things up to try and get her fired. I reassured her that she was not going to be fired just for creating artworks and that I was just curious. That seemed calmer enough for her to give me some justification for her hobby. Sitting on the locker room bench, she explained that in her belief, the effigies could act as totems for the people they resembled. She said that in the media, people always write about voodoo dolls and hex puppets as things that people put pins in to cause pain to the person they represent. When they're looking at the evil side, they're willing to believe. To believe whatever someone does to the doll can happen to the person. But if you ask them to believe that you could use the same ideas to help someone, to soothe pain, or to take away suffering, then they think you're mad. I thought back to the way Alma had gently caressed the tiny doll of Madge to the care and love she seemed to be applying to the tiny figure. I told Alma to keep her figures, to maybe get a padlock for her locker and come to see me if she had any other problems with Jen. As it turned out, her problems with Jen were far more worse than anything I could help with. I remember the screaming most of all. The screaming and the smell. Though I've been to counseling and see my therapist to talk about the whole incident once a week, I still hear screaming. Sometimes at night, and to this day the smell of roasting meat makes me want to vomit and then cry. I had not been on shift that night. I got a call about a fire and rushed to the home just in time to see the blue flashing lights and the flames towering into the sky. The firefighters emerged over and over with residents in their arms, some of whom were still alive when they were brought out, but all of whom died later from their injuries. It was a tragedy, an avoidable one. When the fire brigade concluded their investigation, the results were far more conclusive. According to them, the evidence suggested that the fire had not started in one place but seemed to have begun in over 60 separate locations. It's as if, the fire chief told me apologetically, each resident's flat had a fire of its own and they all joined together to make one big fire. To be honest, it's even weirder than that because within the flats themselves, some surfaces and rooms were untouched. It's almost, almost as if the residents themselves just, I don't know, burst into flames spontaneously combust or whatever. It's horrible, just horrible. He was right. It was. Alongside this evidence of many separate fires, the investigators found a waste paper basket in the staff locker room. In it was a huge pool of melted wax covered in lighter fluid. Someone had clearly started a fire in that room in an attempt to destroy or melt whatever was in the bin.
why someone would do that was a mystery, and as far as the investigators could tell, this did not start the larger fire. Though, of course, I believe that in a way it did. As it turned out, Alma had not purchased a padlock. Jen, seeing that no action had been taken against Alma and her dolls, took it upon herself to destroy them, throwing them into a waste paper bin and setting them alight so that they all melted down together. Many would say that what happened then to the residents is simply a coincidence. I am not one of those people. I met up with Alma around a month after the fire. She was not working that night, so she couldn't be blamed for what happened, though she did blame herself. When I said that in my view, Jen was far more responsible, she told me not to say things like that. I mustn't think that way, she said. I can't think that way. I don't believe in revenge. A few years later, I visited Alma at her home, and she showed me the doll she had made of Jen. A perfect likeness. She said that she had it sitting on her mantelpiece for over two years and that every night she had to convince herself not to throw it in on the fire. Eventually, she moved it to another room and says she no longer looks at it. I must say that as much as I admire Alma's dolls, I have far greater admiration for her levels of self-control. 